Bruce okay. Jarvis, and welcome to Voices on the Journey. And today we have Mr. Carson Pugh. He's in the Zoom house. Welcome. <laughs> Thank you, Jarvis. Great to be with you. And and uh, I've been to your church several times, so I love the Journey Church and um, appreciate all that happens there in that community. So it's nice to be able to speak to all of you today. And thank you. And uh, Dave Morehouse says hello. Yes. You know the best thing about Dave Morehouse? It's What's Nancy. This? It's Nancy. Yeah. Every, so, behind every pastor yeah. is a good partner. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love Dave. So. And uh, Dave told me today, actually, that he's reading the book by Brenda. But if not, oh yes, mm -hmm. great. I remember following that blog a number of years ago when that came out. Yeah. Very good resource that I've shared with others. Yeah, well, thank you for that. Well, Carson, you're a world traveler, mm -hmm. not just to see the world, but you help mentor and talk about leadership. And I hear that you have three sons and three daughters, mm -hmm. and now you have mm -hmm. grandchildren. Yes. And I read on your Facebook page that you say, uh, being a grandpa is the, uh, the title grandpa is the best title ever. Totally. Yeah. It's, I would, I think I might get business cards and all it's going to say is just grandpa on it. I would be so pleased with that. So, and that's yeah, the most, and, and you get to mentor. Yes. It's all yeah, about mentoring. They're, yeah. Yeah, they're all uh, changing so quickly, and I love being in their lives and uh, watching them, and they they bring out so much joy. The, the other day, the family were all over um, at a swimming pool, and I was coming home, uh, and I'd been away, and I contacted them, and they said, hey, we're all over at the pool. Come on over. And so I went to the pool, and when I came in through the back gate, all of my grandchildren started to go grandpa 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 and i was just going oh this is the best this is the best ever it, it <laughs> so. pulls on the heartstrings sure does yeah i'm not there yet but one day yeah. we'll see what happens well it's it's always understated boy it's just amazing so but i do um you know my primary work uh right now is still doing executive mentoring and i work with uh, Christian leaders, mostly of um, uh, Christian not-for-profit work or large uh, Christian churches, and I work with uh, some Christian business leaders uh, who are in different fields, but, but the role that I play is really to be a mentor in their lives and to, to help them to grow and to help their ministries to grow and their teams to grow, uh, and that's what I think God just wired me to do that. It's just when I'm doing that, Jarvis, I feel like I'm in the nucleus of his will for my life. You know, so. And it's so important to be in the center of his will, wherever we are. So what's the name of the organization that you're part of with respect to I, mentoring? Yeah, I work with um, a business that uh, my wife, Brenda, that's my wife passed away five and a half years ago. That's the book but if not that you mentioned is about uh, it's written by her and it's her journey uh with cancer and it's one of the most honest but hopeful faith-filled books that i know on the subject so 
when Brenda was um, diagnosed, they gave, they, they told us that she has 150 days to live. And I was pastoring at First Baptist Church Vancouver at the time, and I resigned from the church. I almost immediately, I just said, if I only have 150 days with my wife, I'm going to spend every day with her. And so I left that and then 150 days came and she didn't look like she was dying anytime soon. And my, my kids all threw a big party. We had a barbecue. And um, when, when the doctor told Brenda, we were all as a family, we're in the office and the, the, the specialist um, said, you know, you, the, really the maximum 150 days. And Brenda looked at her and she said, you don't number my days, you know? And so, so what, when we what had, was the doctor's response? Uh, just kind of in, a little incredulous. She was a little overwhelmed by our whole family anyways, because yeah. we all piled into a room that was about nine feet by nine feet. And, uh, and Brenda was sitting on the chair with her three sons behind her, like an Irish football team. And um, so she, but Brenda was just smiling, really believing, you know, you're not, you, you have statistics, but you don't number in my days. And so when the 150 days came, my sons threw a, you don't number my days party. And we had a big barbecue and everything. And then Brenda ended up living uh, 588 days and she became an outlier in the statistics and she was, she's been studied all around the world um, because of that. Well, in the course of after the 150 days, in fact, maybe after a year, Brenda wisely said, you know, we're, you're going to have to have some income coming in because <laughs> um, and our wives often can speak that word of just um, fiscal responsibility into our lives. And so together we formed um, a business called Quadrant Leadership. And uh, she, it was like, she says, you just need a platform from which you can function in a, and a place where you can um, center your speaking and your writing and your mentoring from. So that's what we formed it. And it's, Quadrant takes its name for Brendan and I are both sailors, and a quadrant is an ancient navigational tool that was used to check your latitude um, and, and help you to figure out where you were. Navigate through so, the stars. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, yeah. So that's that's what I do, and I'm loving it. So. Oh, that's wonderful! And you have an impressive resume. I did a little homework on you. You have worked with boards like World Vision, the Billy Graham Center. Now, I have a question. Yeah. Did you meet Billy Graham while you were part? Uh, do you know that uh, I'm really good friends with Billy's wife, Jeannie, uh, but twice I went to meet with Billy Graham, and both times he got ill before I could oh. see him. So, yeah. So, anyway, so I never met him face-to-face. Yeah, a special man, for mm -hmm. sure. Um, you helped lead Arrow Leadership for over 14 years, which helps to mentor leaders. And there are many questions I could ask about mentorship. Is yep. mentorship more than teaching? Oh, Jarvis, it's way more than teaching. In fact, I would say it's not teaching. Um, 
one of the things that I, I do in my work is I'm, I've been trying to help some churches to create a mentoring culture within their church. And, and in a church culture, if you say, you know, who would be interested in mentoring other people? The very first people to put up their hands are teachers. And they, because, well, it kind of fits together, but you know, a teacher, they want a place where they can teach, where they can give content. And I think about mentoring as being much more holistic than that. It's not just about telling people things or increasing their knowledge. But I would also say in the same realm, it's not counseling either. It's different from counseling. Uh, it's not just going for coffee with somebody or being friends with them. Uh, the mentoring that I'm talking about is Christ-like mentoring. It's how I see Jesus building into his disciples, even as they walk through a field of grain. <laughs> he would be talking to them. He's walking. He's doing life with them. And also, the mentoring I'm talking about is very, very intentional. So that there's, uh, it, you know, if I'm getting together with somebody, there's a purpose for why we're getting together. And it's not just to talk about how nice the weather is. <laughs> so, um, so I think that it's, um, it's all of those things and more. It's a bit of a hybrid, the way I think about it. But I know you've written extensively on mentorship. Is there anything that that's on your heart these days with respect to mentorship that you haven't talked about in your book or books that you've written? Yeah, yes. Um, well, I think uh, just this past Monday, I had a conversation um, about doing a revision of my book called Mentoring Leaders, Wisdom for Developing Character, Calling, and Competency. And uh, the reason I got the call is they were just saying, uh, that book is now one generation old. So it came out in 2005, and now we have a whole new generation. So last year, I spent the year, I spent eight months of the year living on an island off the West Coast here with a wonderful group of eight Gen Z young leaders. And I, it was an experiment, if you like, or a pilot project to see if having intentional guided mentorship would help move them forward towards adulthood, would help them with their a healthy disassociation from their parents' faith to developing their own, etc. So, but in that time, Jarvis, I learned so much. I learned, I learned way more than I gave to them. And I in my journal, I found that I've I've written a list of 26 things that um, I would like to encourage parents actually to be intentional about mentoring their children in these 26 ways. So if I was redoing the book, I would be including a lot of that kind of thing. And I would address some of the more prominent um, things that are in our culture right now with younger leaders, uh, the high levels of anxiety and how do you, how do you deal with that? And how do you lead in a constantly shifting um, environment uh, where you, you can't create a five-year plan now? That's a joke, you know? So if I think, right, in, in our, given our current circumstances, um, how, so how do you lead? It, um, 
And so I would love to kind of speak into that more uh, in the future, but that this is fresh as of like two days ago. <laughs> I, I had to read your book at Acadia Divinity College. So that means I have to buy a new one. Yeah, you will. Yeah. <laughs> it, I'll put in more pictures though. <laughs> How about the second one is free? <laughs> <laughs> so certainly mentorship unlocks us to be more fully human. And uh, thank you for speaking into that. The other question that I have here is many pastors are feeling overwhelmed during this difficult time yeah. with COVID-19. Uh, mm -hmm. We hear from different people saying, we need to gather in person. Other people are saying, no, we shouldn't. We have to wait until there's a vaccine. Some people yeah. will say, I'm going to hold on to my money. Uh, yeah. And you're not getting it until you open up that building. And I read that 25% of church members say they don't plan to return at all, which yeah. is concerning. What can yeah. you say to not only pastoral leadership, but to all leaders uh, during this difficult time that we're in? Well, these the things that you've just brought up um, with the executive leaders that I'm mentoring right now, this is paramount in their lives. So all of those kind of questions and and what are we going to do? The, the figure about 25% not returning to church at all, um, I think that that stat came out of the U.S., so I, I, I'm just not sure how applicable it is in our Canadian thing, uh, Canadian context, but I think it's really shaken up the church for sure, and I think that some things are going to be different. I work with a, a wonderful church out here in the Lower Mainland called Southside Community Church, out in Chilliwack, BC. And they have found during this COVID time when they moved to an online church um, sort of status, uh, they've had tremendous response from that with people who would never go into the door of a church. But it's easier than watching. ever to connect. Oh, totally. And you can watch in your pajamas if you want on the couch <laughs> and, and everything. But they've, they've just recently made the decision that they are always going to have now an online campus, they're calling it, and they're going to keep that going as part of their, part of another campus of their church. So, And that's a reality for us too. There's many things that, um, there's many good things are going to come out of COVID, but if you're the leader right now, sometimes it's hard to see that. So here, here's what I would say to uh to a leader, I do say this to leaders, I'll go, first of all, recognize your stress signals. Uh, don't ignore these because there's been some leaders who have just like, just packed it in. They just like, it's just like they hit a I'm wall done. and I'm done. Yeah. yeah. So recognize what is it that your body is is showing to you or signaling to you that saying that you're under stress and then figure out how you're going to deal with it. A second thing that I, I say to them, and these, these are just common disciplines that we actually should be practicing all the time. But, but if I take a look at your day planner, uh, however you keep track of how you plan your week, um, I better see something in there about your health in, and something in your schedule that's that's around that. And I think we can also um, be very cautious around our diet and 
and how we are dealing with that. The third uh, thing that I share, it has to do with maintaining boundaries. Uh, and this is particularly needed to have a boundary between your work and your home. I've, talk, I've talked to pastor's spouses who are just fed up. Like a couple of things. One is their spouse is around all the time now. And there's many marriages actually are struggling because of that. We don't know how to, we don't know how to act when we're together 24-7. But the other part of it is just um, they don't want to talk about work. They don't want their spouse talking about work when they're home. Like how how can you make a a break or a difference. Um, I have three adult sons and they they all live uh, near me. And you mentioned my three daughters. They're, I call them my daughters by marriage because I got to get them all grown up when they married into our family. But, but I asked uh, my sons the beginning of September if on Friday of every week, we could meet together for one hour at four o'clock. And my intention is to have a time when we just unpack the week that we've had and you kind of free your mind up to go home to your wife and to your family and give yourself to them. Like, like let's sort of shut it down at our little meeting and then kind of move into it. So maintaining boundaries around that. Um, another thing that is helpful, and I'm not trying to be self-serving in this, uh, but but I think uh, having an executive mentor or a coach in your life, this is a time actually to invest in your own growth uh, because everything's so, <laughs> everything's so weird and different. Uh, what about taking some time to invest in you and to uh, help you to grow and help you to stay on track? Um, uh, Another practice that I think is wonderful that I know several leaders are doing now is they have gathered together, like at the church, at Journey Church, you'll have a board that meets regularly, that kind of governs the church and governs you. But what about you finding a board, you know, in, in air, quote, air quotes, a board of directors for you? You know, a group that would meet together with you and just talk about your life and how you're doing. And this could be, it could be some couples, it could be uh, friends that you have, it could be people with different skills than you have, but just intentionally kind of maybe putting a group like that around you. Because I think, you know, this COVID is not going to go away quickly. And so I think it's going to get more and more difficult as we go into 2021 and we're still dealing with this. So having some people who can speak truth into your life, who can make observations when you get all blurry um, would, be, would be helpful. Um, I also encourage leaders to um, take the time to recover, like figure out what your rhythm is, where you give, like pastors give and give and give of themselves. But when do they pause to just receive and recover from all that they're doing? So figure that out and uh, and get somebody to hold you accountable to it if you if if that's necessary. I always hold, and, held on to the words mm -hmm. by Eugene Peterson, who once said, "How can I lead people 
besides still waters if I'm in perpetual motion? Yeah, that's a great line. I've not heard that from him, but um, there's a really good book written by the, the now president of Aero Leadership, Steve Brown, Dr. Steve Brown. And he wrote a book called Leading Me. And uh, it, it comes from an arrow-like pre premise where we say, if you can't lead yourself, you can't lead a team. And if you can't lead a team, then you can't lead a church or an organization. So um, I think John McCauley might, be, might get a hat tip for that, um, for that statement. But um, I think that, that how to, learning how to lead yourself and how to recover. And then one more I'll give you is um, try to just stay focused on the present on what you have to do today because tomorrow is unknown and all of the if we were really sophisticated like an airline we'd have algorithms and everything to figure out what how many people are going to be on the plane from montreal to moncton on you know february 2nd well none of those algorithms work anymore and nothing that we use to kind of mark our 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 future none of that works anymore so focus in on the present. Um, I've even gone, I've come an old school and I've kind of gone back to pen and paper journals for my day book. And it's really just helping me to not glance ahead three or four months ahead in my, in my Google calendar or something. I'm just staying focused on, okay, here's what I want to get done today. So those are some things, um, that I'm trying to help leaders with, and if any of your listeners that can benefit from that, then that's awesome. So, good word. Now we don't have to get the book; we have it all right here. <laughs> <laughs> um, Carson, you mentioned the passing of your wife Brenda. Yeah. I know you are about to be married uh, to Ruth Blake 26 yeah. days before heart-wrenching time. I remember sharing at funerals the words of C.S. Lewis. A death of a beloved is an amputation. Yeah. You had to yeah. learn to walk with this limp, this artificial leg. How do you yeah. walk again after going through all mm. of this? I can't imagine. Yeah. Well, that quote from C.S. Lewis, um, after Brenda died, um, C.S. Lewis was actually my best guide, you know. Uh, and reading that quote, that was the first time when I kind of went, oh, that that's exactly what it's like. Somebody cut my leg off. And I might have an artificial leg, but I don't walk the same way anymore. And I still don't walk the same way. I'm, I might be getting better with walking with an artificial leg, but it's hard. So... Um, you know, I had two waves of intense grief, um, and they're both very different. And I would say to anyone who's listening, we all have a different grief journey. We all, it's different for every single one of us. Um, with Brenda, I had 588 days to prepare for her passing, and she prepared us well. She was absolutely amazing. And so that experience was um, remarkable. And I said, I was preaching in a church and I made the comment that I wouldn't trade those 
588 days for anything. Um, Brenda and I thought we should have been living like this all along. You know, it was just so filled with God's grace and his sustaining nature in our lives. And then two and a half years after her death, um, God intersected um, Ruth and I. I've actually known Ruth since 1973. And the, yeah, just the Ruth died 26 days before our wedding. And that sent me into a very dark place. I um, was not expecting that. Um, I felt hurt. I felt I I had uh, yeah. I <laughs> it's too long for this podcast. It's like it's like a whole podcast. But I I went to a place where I go. I I still believed in God, but I just said. You, yeah, you felt I like saying time out. I need some, I need yeah, a breather. I, I said, um, I don't work for you anymore. Like you're a bad boss. I'm not working for you anymore. And and I just tried to escape and to get away. And uh through the wonderful, loving but tough ministry of um a woman that I call my Irish sister. She lives in Northern Ireland and uh, she was deeply used of God to speak into my life and to help me understand that with Ruth, it wasn't about me. It was actually all about Ruth and that God put me into her life for his purposes for her, not for me. And so the circumstances didn't change, but my perspective on it did change. So your question about how do you how do you walk after this um i would say first of all i didn't walk i couldn't walk i um my uh kristen uh, is my first uh, daughter-in-law and after uh mom's death Kristen used to come over to my house every Sunday and she would say to me, okay, dad, um, what are you going to do this week? <laughs> and I'm pretty well known Jarvis as a high capacity guy who would just, I'd just be active all the time. I didn't want to do anything. And she would try to encourage me to just do one thing. So here I am, this leader of leaders, and I'm having my daughter just trying to get me to just do one thing, you know, and... And I'm sure and, you still have your times where you feel paralyzed by it all. I, I actually don't right now. I haven't had that um, for a while. I, I have moments when, I, when, when tears come sometimes suddenly, and they come... I just call them unguarded moments. <laughs> there, uh, I had one this weekend where, after six, um, five and a half years, I'm I'm clearing out and reorganizing the kitchen of my home, and so you know I I've emptied out all the drawers and all the cupboards and everything, and and then I'm deciding which of these things do I need to keep because my life's much simpler now and. And I would pick up an object like a, 
harvest gold nut grinder. <laughs> and that was from our wedding. And a tears would well up in me because of images of Brenda, you know, using this in her baking and things like that. So those are, I can't tell when those things are going to happen. I can't anticipate them. But I also don't hide my tears and I'm, I'm okay. And I would say to anybody who's lost someone, um, tears are uh, such a healing thing for us. And in Brenda's book, um, but if not, she actually wrote this wonderful uh, section on how she wished that tears had different colors because um, she had come to recognize that there are different times when she would be crying, but they're completely different. And then after she had written that, we, we found this article, or maybe somebody sent it to us, that where scientists had actually shown that the molecular makeup of tears does change. So it's kind of coming when it's coming from a different place. So don't hold back on the tears. Just um, let that happen. Um, There's healing in that. Yeah, there is healing. And uh, people say that, like lots of, I think, well-meaning people will tell you, well, you know, time will heal it. Time actually doesn't heal it. I think it has to do with you being more intentional about how you're processing it. Time changes things, but in some ways makes it worse because with every year, you know, they're not, they're not coming back. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that takes me to the next question. We often mm -hmm. have those knee-jerk reactions to hardships, to grief. God must be punishing you. God has a reason for everything. Other cliches that you just mentioned. What are other knee-jerk reactions to grief that are not healthy? Oh my goodness. Maybe well, maybe, um, maybe give one or two examples of things that come to your mind. Well, the um in terms of a knee-jerk reaction that a person in grief can have, um, uh, there is no question that some people turn to whatever their whatever their choice is to numb the pain. So whether it's alcohol or marijuana or prescription drugs, there can be a very quick longing to just get rid of the pain. You just want the pain to go away. And the, that, uh, if, if you don't educate yourself about what's happening with your grief, I think that that seems like an easy out. And then for uh, married couples who lose their life companion, uh, there can be such a, a, a hunger or a need for companionship that I think a lot of people get into trouble um, over that, because you start to seek it where in all the wrong places. <laughs> and I think that that's a very dangerous um, area. Um, how you can, how you can combat that, I think is just have a really good friend network, close friends. Um, I also, in my life, um, one of the things I find the hardest is getting invited to uh, events. And whether you planned it or not, most events are actually planned for couples. And if you're a single person and you walk in there, you have this feeling of, yeesh, you know. So I was sharing that with my, with my kids and I had just returned from some event and I 
I did not enjoy the evening. I felt so lonely there. I felt like an outcast in that didn't know who to talk to. So I was sharing this with my kids and um, uh, my daughters said, dad, you've got three daughters here who would love to get dressed up and come with you to events. You just call. So now, now they're on a rotation and, <laughs> uh, and I've loved it because it gives us an evening together and they get to get dressed up and maybe buy a new dress and, uh, and come with me. And I'm just the proudest father-in-law in the room. So. Those are special memories. Mm -hmm. And what you mentioned uh, resources uh, to help you move forward during the grief. Yeah. Yes. Resources of community, friends. Mm -hmm. Are there other things that come to yeah. mind? Yeah. Yeah, I can give I can give you three. I want to go back to the to the family and friends part first. Yes. Um, some people function in life where they don't have close friendships. They don't have intentional friendships where they've got somebody that they can call on to be with them when your spouse is dying or whatever. So I, I would go back to any listeners kind of going, hey, you may be a long way from the numbered day that the Lord has for you, but be intentional about building deep friendships. Like, get some of those friends and to be around you. The second thing that I recommend, um, and this is actually a, like it's a program, but it's run by a lot of different churches um, and it's called Grief Share. And I, I, <laughs> I'm, I'm a mentor. If I was mentoring myself, I would tell me, get, get it, go into a grief group. And so I went two weeks after Brenda's death, I started into this group um, for 16 weeks. And uh, I didn't like going, to be honest. I, uh, the only thing I had in common with the people was we'd all lost somebody. I later learned that's a pretty significant bonding point. And, um, and I would go and every night I went, I learned, I got a nugget. Even, I would just get even one nugget that would help me understand this grief journey. And then I was able to come back and actually uh, teach it or share it with my, my own family. So that was very, very helpful. And I, um, I highly, highly recommend that. Um, and if it's not grief share, find some Christian based uh, area to, to where you can have some, like there's hope in, in a Christian based grief group, there's hope because of eternal life. Pain is real, but so is hope. Yeah. Uh, and then the, the third thing that I would mention is uh, in all likelihood, even if you have great friends around you, even if you've gone to a, a grief group, one to two years after the death, you will find if you're reflective, you'll find that you're actually kind of spinning your wheels and you're stuck. And when that takes place, uh, I encourage people to go and go and see a therapist. And uh, I went to a wonderful man. It didn't take many sessions, actually, to just help me get perspective again and to be able to move forward. So, so friends, some kind of a grief support group uh, and a therapist. I think that those are very, very healthy 
ways of processing forward. So, um, yeah, on on the side of uh, all the things that people say to you when you've lost your spouse, and a lot of it in the church isn't helpful. <laughs> so sometimes it's, just, it's best to be quiet. Oh, I I ministry would love, of presence. Oh, that's exactly right. And if somebody came up to me and they said, Carson, I just I don't know what to say, I would go stop right there. That's like, perfect. <laughs> yeah, just just give me a hug. And we're all good. Uh, because it's when they don't know what to say, but then they keep on talking, that they say some really um, silly, sometimes hurtful things that they, they mean, they well, mean, but they don't mean to, but they, yeah, they just don't know what to say. So I know yeah. the reality that I hold on to in the midst of grief, in the midst of pain, is the reality that God is with us. Yes. I remember Dr. Stephen Dempster, who teaches at Crandall mm -hmm. University, yeah. he said that Yahweh, the Hebrew name of God, yeah. means I am actively present. Mm -hmm. And yeah. I think that's a beautiful reality to hurt to realize when we're yeah. going through hardship. I, I've been talking to um, someone who, who has uh, lost a spouse and we were commenting on how we're just in a really weird club. You know, we're in a club that nobody wants to be a member of. Um, but it's just, you're, you're thrust into this thing. But the one thing about the club is God is present in there. And there's times in my grief, Jarvis, where I, I realized God's the only one who's present here. Like I'm, I feel all alone except for God. Mm. I felt like I was in a free fall, like I jumped out of an airplane with no parachute <laughs> and I'm free falling through the air. And then I look over and there's Jesus beside me with his arms stretched out and <laughs> enjoying the, <laughs> enjoying the fall too. Like it was just, there was a closeness to God. And that's, that actually has, that's, that's still with me right now. So yeah, if that's what I get from two horrific seasons of grief, is this new deep closeness with God that just might, makes me smile. Mm. One more question for you. Um, you. You were married many years, uh, so I have a question about marriage. Johnny Cash was asked this question in his last interview. What is the secret to a happy marriage? And he quickly replied, separate bathrooms. What advice can you give mm. to married couples who are in a rough season? Obviously, yeah. it's more than separate bathrooms, but maybe take a right. minute and share mm. uh, something that you've learned, um, something you'd like to share with us as we uh, close things up. Yeah. Well, um, first of all, I would say, there are a lot of couples who are struggling right now. And part of it is COVID induced. It's um, that they may be under financial pressure because of it. It may be because they're at home too much and they need a break from each other. Uh, it may be um, worries about the future. 
and going back to that, our inability to figure out what that's about. Uh, and when you have all of those things converging at the same time, it can cause you to just start to ask some questions. And some of those questions lead to unhealthy places. And uh, I've, I've, I'm concerned about some marriages that where you get onto a negative path about your marriage, it, which could be being caused by all these circumstances I just mentioned. And then you begin to lean towards doing something about it. And I'm talking about going on a negative um, slope. I think that if, if um, we think about COVID as this wonderful opportunity to learn and grow and invest in ourselves, it may be a great opportunity for marriages to, um, there's lots of online courses or videos or um, think tools that we can make use of. And while we're both at home, why don't we just sit down one evening and watch a 20 minute video and then talk about it? Um, what would that do for our, our marriage? I would also warn, this is not the season to make drastic changes. Just, I, I think there's a lot of us um, want to kind of, we want it to be uh, different. So we want to take action and we're uh, into a season where our, we're just depleted. And I was speaking with uh, Aaron Thiessen, who's the director of community life at Trinity Western University. And it's in the student life division where I, I worked for a few years. And uh, she, she uh, referred me to an article that was talking about uh, surge capacity. And all of us have within us an ability, a, a surge where we can respond to a crisis. And it's both mental and it's physical. And it's intended for us to draw on for short-term survival. But now we're in this acutely stressful situation with a pandemic where the recovery time is very long and our surge capacity is used up. So this is not the time when it's depleted. It has to get renewed. This is not the time for you to struggle with making some, some major de decision about that. So I think be honest with each other and just kind of go, you know what, I'm depleted. <laughs> I'm, yeah, just where I'm at, so. Well, thank you so much, yeah. Carson, for allowing space in your yeah. life for God to work. And thank you for mentoring everyone who's listening today. Mm. So You're I welcome. appreciate a huge thank you. And this will be a wonderful resource for uh, people listening in. Thank you so much. Great to talk with you. Give, give a big hug to Dave for me. I will. A big one. Okay. I, I'm, I'm shorter than him, so it might not work. <laughs> Very good. Okay, blessings right. on Thank you, Thank you so yeah. much. Yeah, oh, you you're too. welcome. Bye-bye. Okay,